Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I were joined by our favorite cybersecurity expert, Adam Dupay, which is not to say that cybersecurity expert Jamie Winterton is not also our favorite. And we have a new favorite cybersecurity expert uh, who is new to ASU this academic year, Jan Shoshitashvili. Uh, and one of these days, I promise I will be able to say Shoshitashvili with some more fluency. But Jan was the captain of Team Shellfish, which won DARPA's Cybersecurity Grand Challenge. So he joined us all together to talk about the experience, uh, what DARPA's Cybersecurity or Cyber Grand Challenge was, talked us through that experience, and we talked about some lessons learned and where Jan is going as a result of this, including a really interesting, and this is toward the end of the conversation, we talked about the democratization of cybersecurity, which I think is a really interesting concept. And we will definitely be returning to talk more about that in future episodes. Before we get started today, as always, thank you for listening to the Future Out Loud podcast. If you're not already subscribed to Future Out Loud, you can do that in places like iTunes, Podcast Store, or on SoundCloud, or on Stitcher, or on Google Play. You can tell your friends that they might like to subscribe to the Future Out Loud podcast. You can find us and give us feedback on Twitter at Future Out Loud or on Facebook, on our Facebook page at Future Out Loud. You can also check out our website, futureoutloud.org. And now, on with cybersecurity. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. Hi, Adam. Hi, Heather. Hi, Jan. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. This is your first time. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm excited as well. Awesome. So we're going to talk about the tiny, tiny subject of DARPA's Cyber Grand Challenge, of which you are the master in some way. Tell us about that. Uh, I don't know if I'd call myself the master, but the Cyber Grand Challenge was this incredible event that concluded last year. It was this multi-year event where DARPA explored the question of can we automatically ensure the security of the software that powers our interconnected lives. Mm -hmm. And they did this by really stressing that automated part. So they designed a challenge where the participants had to create fully autonomous systems that they call cyber reasoning systems Mm -hmm. that would take never before seen software analyze it for flaws, try to determine if those flaws could be exploitable, if you could use those flaws to gain entry into a system or to leak uh, private information, and automatically produce proofs, as in actual working exploits that would gain entry into the system, leak right. private information and mm-hmm. so forth. These automated hackers, effectively. Automated so hackers. Agents yeah. that will go out and kind of put but people yeah. like us out of business. Exactly, right. but right. also beyond that, because these <laughs> systems we're also tasked with automatically fixing the flaws right. in the software. Mm, okay. And so this competition spanned uh, several years. The first 
event in the competition, kind of the first public event that that had had a lot of publicity on it was the qualifying event. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a lot of surprises. There was the first outing of these cyber reasoning systems in a limited capacity, still kind of in the lab right. um, yeah. that we've seen <coughs> in our field. And so you had uh, something like a hundred teams trying to create these cyber reasoning systems. Of, of those, about 20 actually managed to create a CRS. 14 of them managed to do something, and only seven of those qualified for the final event. And, okay. and so how did they qualify? What was the test? So the test was a large amount of software mm-hmm. that the CRS had to analyze in one day, 24 hours, okay. mm-hmm. to find and fix the flaws. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the scale of software was more than it was deemed reasonable for like a, a human. human. Right. Okay. So it was 131 pieces of software that were released mm-hmm. on time point zero yep. of yeah. the qualifying mm-hmm. event. Yep. And by time point 24, you had to, you know, your CRS had to submit your results. So, so that's interesting in itself. So it was a task that it was thought that uh, an individual human could not actually complete. Right, um, or a team okay. of humans. Or, a team or even a team of humans. Team of right, right. Okay. So if you succeeded, you were only able to do that because you'd actually created something that was better yes. than mm-hmm. a team of humans. Exactly. And so at that point, there was too much, the scale was too big, too many teams to really ensure that every team that no one had a human kind of giving right. giving their mm-hmm. systems hints and so forth. Mm-hmm. For the final event, they definitely uh, mitigated this. Right. But for for this um, the qualifier, they uh, did this this qualification event, and they visited DARPA, visited every team, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ran a verification test essentially to make sure that every team was had a cyber reasoning system mm-hmm. that that was automatically doing this. And so to give you an idea of the state of um, cyber autonomy is what kind of this fledgling field sure. is called. Yep. Back in the qualifying event, the qualifying event happened in June of 2015. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the state there, the, the, uh, our team, out of 131 uh, programs, we exploited 42. Okay. And... By exploits, actually, in the qualifying event, I should say, the uh, you didn't have to actually gain entry or leak the information. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. just had to trigger the flaw and crash okay. the, the remote program. It was like That's capture the, the flag, not like tackle the beast. <laughs> <laughs> capture the flag is an overloaded term in security. Oh, uh, good point. But it, it was point. like tag. Rather than okay. capture the flag. Because right. 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 I'm thinking yes. like sixth grade. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But it was like. people, we don't understand those references. Oh, good point. Excellent point. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was tag rather than, okay. you know, yeah. grab, capture gotcha. the flag. Gotcha. Okay. And, and so our, our system did uh, manage to do 42 of those uh, programs, which is uh, pretty good for, mm-hmm. you know, compared to a human, let's say, yep. um, and, and protect a lot more. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's kind of easier in, in certain ways to protect than mm-hmm. to um, exploit uh, with, with caveats, mm-hmm. there's, um, but, but for one specific vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And so um, our system did, did 42 competitor systems. I think the, the first place system 
I, my memory's hazy from two years back, but I think it was 67, something right. along these lines. And so there was this fairly good outing, and then the top seven were mm-hmm. chosen, uh, were moved up to finalist mm-hmm. uh, level. And the finals is where kind of the real game uh, happened. Because at the final level, there, e- each competitor got a supercomputer mm-hmm. to use for a year, developing their cyber reasoning system and in the end actually deploying it for right. the final competition. Mm-hmm. And the supercomputer is this computing cluster with, I think, 2,560 CPU cores, mm-hmm. uh, something like a terabyte and a half of RAM. It was, it was very powerful. So how many CPU cores are in my iPhone? In your iPhone, probably I don't know, four. Probably four. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. That's a lot of just for yes. scale. Just for, got it. Exactly. Just a lot for of scale. Got it. Yeah. My laptop. My laptop's kind of crappy, but you know they're four. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. yeah. Exactly. You do not have a supercomputer. I, I do not. Not anymore. No. Not anymore. Yeah. But for a year, we did. It, it, was, it was incredible. Of course, you could only use your supercomputer for the Cyber Grand Challenge. Yeah. Uh, but we, at that time, also shifted much of our research to do the Cybergen Challenge. So right. already it paid off huge dividends in mm-hmm. terms of cybersecurity research because mm-hmm. we were able to run gigantic scale experiments okay. to uh, showcase that certain approaches work, certain approaches did not. Right. Um, and so we spent this year developing our system or we had a year to develop our system. Of course, we were one of the university competitors mm-hmm. in the Cybergen Challenge and there were you know, there were, were a number of, of companies, either three companies, four universities, four companies, three universities, okay. uh, depending on who, how you count mm-hmm. people as a company or as a university. Sure. And it's, it's very hard to uh, corral, uh, guide students. I, we had, you know, a team of like 11 students and at any given time, people were doing student things, mm-hmm. classes, people were... Uh, pursuing various graduate requirements right. uh, outside of specifically building the cyber reasoning system. So we got probably out of the year, we got a good solid three months of uh, breakneck, mm-hmm. no sleep, uh, crazy work to build a cyber reasoning system. And the final event happened where the day before the final event, the, the week before the final event, they moved all of our systems, all of the seven finalist uh, supercomputer racks and they set them up on stage in Las Vegas. Okay. okay. And they made a government certified air gap. That means there was, sure. there, initially there was just one cable or maybe two cables bridging the stage in Las Vegas to the outside world. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they told us at 3 p.m., the day before the competition, those cables will get cut with a pair of scissors. Mm. Wow. And the systems will be on their own. That right, is right. made for <laughs> television. You, you, right, right. You cannot interfere or anything. You yes. cannot. Mm-hmm. So why was it in Vegas? <laughs> so it was yeah, in Vegas right. because <laughs> One of the largest uh, computer security conferences mm-hmm. is in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and that's called DEF CON. DEF CON yeah. has been going on for, uh, last year was the 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And every year, tens of thousands of hackers descend on Vegas, and it's complete chaos. Um, and there's, you know, uh, there's cybersecurity competitions uh, aside from the mm-hmm. CyberCon Challenge. So the kind of world championships of uh, Capture the Flag, mm-hmm. yeah. the security version is there. There are uh, tons of talks um, from tons of researchers, kind of hacker personalities and so forth. There are um, tutorials and, and meetups and parties, and yeah. it's, it's, it's a pretty uh, fun time. And so 
DARPA co-located the Cyber Grand Challenge with DEF CON. It was the first night of DEF CON, okay. Thursday okay. night, and DEF CON yep. goes all through the weekend. To kind of give that frame of, hey, not only is hacking critical now, mm -hmm. the government is sinking crazy loads of money. And I should mention the Cyber Grand Challenge had budgets of, of tens of millions of dollars. Right. There, okay. there was Okay. Uh, not just the supercomputers. Not just the supercomputers, but, yes. but media budgets, production budgets. They had uh, budgets for uh, prize money. Right. So the, the, for qualifying, every team received seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, in addition to one year access to the supercomputer. Wow. Yeah. That's for, for very lucrative. Yeah. Yes. For, for eleven students. students. For eleven <laughs> students. This, yeah. this is this is a you know life changing event. And yeah, for the academics out there, this was gift money too. Yes. Yes, oh, it was very small. Interesting. Yes. So we, we could actually use this when when we were not sleeping and, and didn't have time to go home and so forth. We could use this to eat healthy, for yeah. example, instead <laughs> wow. of just having pizza every day. Um, and so the, the, the resources that DARPA poured in were immense. And they had to because they had to really make this happen, right? right. Take right. this step to... to uh, cyber autonomy and, and they made that message to DEFCON and the message also was hey this isn't the kind of underground you know no one cares about cybersecurity until you have to arrest a couple hackers thing anymore this is really proactive yeah, yeah. this is proactive it's yeah. part of the fabric of our society yeah. our society cannot exist without cybersecurity anymore and and so here we are um, and so uh the systems were set up on stage at 3 p.m. and we were pushing code and making critical changes <laughs> up, up until like 2:57. Right. I mean, it was it was really crazy, and everyone was. Right. I mean, this this is the first time something like this has has taken place. Right. It's like Iron Chef, like plating your <laughs> yeah. right, like well, really to some automated system. Like, yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, plating your code. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then they cut. The cables, and, and I mean, and we were watching. Uh, we managed to, to, like I said, finish up a couple minutes early, and we we're we we're watching the the kind of ping to the system, mm -hmm. and then it goes down. Yeah, and wow, the system is no longer connected mm -hmm. to the rest of the world. We have no more access to it, and right. we will not have access to it until the competition ends. Uh -huh. Right. So does that mean you couldn't actually see what was happening internally? You had to. You could not. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, so, 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 but then, how did it work? So, you had some supercomputer there had your codes, your algorithms in. Mm -hmm. It had all the software somewhere inside that system, mm -hmm. and your whatever you call them, sort of then have free reign to sort of go into that software and do their stuff. Yeah. And so, the the way that that DARPA facilitated this part, mm -hmm. you had the seven systems, and if you look for pictures and, and the final event is online on YouTube. Right. The entire you can, so you can watch these computers just sitting there doing yes. apparently blinking nothing. lights. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. a lot, oh, lot, oh, lot oh, of light. There you go. See. <laughs> if you learn anything from Star Trek, that's what yeah, you that's exactly. right. blinking lights, all yes. blinking lights. So um, the way it worked is you had these seven machines all sitting around there um, blinking their lights. Mm -hmm. And you had a group of central so, so these machines are very colorful. Each team could design their okay. own, you know, oh, um, okay. whatever uh, colors and, and designs um, to cover the racks. And then there were these, you know, eight machines that are just jet black, mm -hmm. right? And those were the organizer, like the the, the scaffolding okay. that DARPA okay. created. And when I say machines, I mean racks. Mm -hmm. I mean these supercomputer clusters. Yep. The amount of computer computing uh, power on stage there was 
unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you had these uh, organizer machines, and they ran a central server mm-hmm. where each team could connect to request the software to mm-hmm. analyze, mm-hmm. Uh, to submit their results, and so forth. And then they ran this huge, complex testing infrastructure uh, systems. Uh, to uh, evaluate the uh, fixes that mm-hmm. the teams were submitting and the exploits that the team was, were submitting because the fixes had to uh, perform to specification right. and, and uh, without a lot of uh, runtime overhead mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. so forth, uh, performance loss. And um, basically at a certain point when the system started up, when the competition started up, bef- suddenly the game would go from all these systems are trying to connect to the central mm-hmm. server and it's not there to the central server is there and right, here's the okay. software and the right, game okay. has started. Right, mm-hmm. right. right. So it's the, that that gunshot so, and that yes. finish line. Uh, digital, digital, digital gunshot. And and the crazy thing is all of this, the game started I think at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. the day after the air gap was cut. So mm-hmm. there was no like, okay, you guys can hit enter to start your system and then get, get the heck out of here. No. Mm-hmm. You didn't have that. Right. You didn't even have right, that. Your right. system had to start autonomously. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, this was a very experimental thing. They, they set up a supercomputing data center in a stage, in, in a conference room at Las Vegas. Y- anything could happen. So right. they said, mm-hmm. your system needs to be able to reboot Right. Yeah. If, right. if there's a power loss. Your system needs to be able to reboot if there's a partial power loss. Mm-hmm. If yeah. half of your racks go down or half of your servers in your rack go down, you need to keep going. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we poured crazy amount of effort into redundancy and mm-hmm. uh, failover and stuff we had um, spread evenly across our system we had five uh, copies of our database at all times right. and if one would go out the system would spawn right. another yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that's just for the central database it was the same for every other component uh, what I like to say is by then by the time the cyber challenge started our cyber reasoning system, which we named the Mechanical Fish because the, the team is Team Shellfish. Oh, uh, okay, this doesn't go well on the podcast, but you are wearing a Shellfish t-shirt today, yes. which I appreciate. Yeah, Thank and, you. And uh, Shellfish t-shirts are another great benefit of this uh, gift <laughs> money. It's not so much a, a just a, a decision on Jan's part as it is he wears a different shirt every day, a different Shellfish shirt. Oh, really? Exactly. Wow. Massive array of colors, and we actually hand these out. So if if uh, you know people are interested, they want to contact you, and you can pass them. <laughs> yeah, on them. We, we can. Uh, Where's our virtual, swag? Like, uh, yeah. why did virtual you not show up with swag today? This is, today. This is always, uh, you know, I'm I'm just disorganized enough that <laughs> I don't show up with swag, and so then I have to say, okay, you know, just contact me, I'll send you, and that's a lot more work in the long run, but but it works. Um, so. So what, what I tell people is um, the mechanical fish, by the time the competition started, was resilient enough that I'm confident that that rack could take a shotgun blast mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. keep hacking. Right. So th- that was a very interesting uh, side effect of what right. DARPA yeah. really okay. mandated with this uh, failover and, and, and the ability to keep going autonomously. Mm-hmm. And so the competition started, and we weren't even around. Right. We weren't. I mean, there, there was the air gap outside of the air gap. There was this whole public room. We weren't even there. They they invited us in at some like nine fifteen or so. They said, uh, okay, everyone come in. Just they, had a, blows up. Uh, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had a team area set up with couches and everything where mm-hmm. we could just watch our systems blink lights at us for yep. mm-hmm. for a day. Um, 
And uh, they, they walked us in and they're like, here's your system. And the game started 10 minutes ago and we can tell you that your system is playing. Right. And so that, and that was, that was it. You were like, yeah. awesome, where's the cheese plate? I, I, exactly, yeah. that, that was unbelievable. And so then we spent 12 hours, um, the competition took place, 12 or 11 hours, mm-hmm. um, and we sat in this uh, team area, all the teams together, just just chilling, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. commiserating about the the insanity that that we had gone through, mm-hmm. uh, and watching the systems blink lights at us. And DARPA did have so they had a one way flow of information out right. of okay. the air gap. Okay, um, they literally had a robot that would copy data from from the organization systems mm-hmm. from only burn into a disk like the current scoring and so mm-hmm. forth. And they had a robotic arm that would pick up the disk, move it across, move right. it across, wow. and drop it. So there was no digital connection whatsoever. Zero digital connection. Wow. Yes. And and in fact, you know, there was probably zero digital connection. They didn't allow any added hardware onto the... Um, so, so I've got to ask at this point, um, were you allowed to program the flashing lights so you could use that as a communication medium? <laughs> Yeah, there, there was there was, there was no uh, no explicit limit on this. I don't think anyone. Honestly, I think it probably came up in, in one of the <laughs> right. kind of late night brainstorms, right. but uh, no one did no, that. Secret codes, really yeah. back and yeah. forth. But what people did do, so DARPA would release uh, every time the robot would drop a mm-hmm. uh, a thing, mm-hmm. DARPA would make that DVD publicly available, right? Right, yeah. so people could follow along. Uh, or maybe the the partial contents. I think right. they didn't make like the scoring data available explicitly, mm-hmm. but uh, the patches and the exploits that the cyber reasoning okay, systems right, were yes. submitting. And mm-hmm. someone, one team, thought that, that this would happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe DARPA said that at some point, and people missed it. But so one team had their cyber reasoning system build into ex- their exploits the state of the game. Okay. Right. Oh, <laughs> and debug information on what was going on. Yeah. So they had uh, <laughs> access to. Not the the explicit state of the game, I think, but just enough to think, okay, you know, this this is getting exploited, and this is right, uh, right. But at that they, point, there's still nothing they could do, right? No, still, still, yeah, yeah. Could, it's a one way flow of information, right? But they yeah. still had that intelligence. Yes. Yeah. So yes. it was yes. still, it, you know, imagine that it, uh, the feeling was very much like sitting in a hospital waiting room yeah. while someone you know is getting operated on. Uh-huh. Like that, that was the feeling. Right, right. There was nothing we could do. Yeah. yeah. You but no wait, yes. mm-hmm. and so the more information that flows out of that mm-hmm. uh, operating room, the better. Uh, but it still doesn't change anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. fact, sometimes it makes things worse. So this specific team, they ended up winning the competition, mm-hmm. right? So uh, as a spoiler, we got we won third place, um, and the prizes were first place got two million dollars, second place got one million dollars, third place got another seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. So right. that's not bad. That's no, bad. It's, it's, it, it's something that we were... Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's something that we were totally thrilled with. I mean. <laughs> um, the, the team that won, they started seeing something wrong. They, they, they did this um, debug information in, in their exploits yep. for their, their cyber reasoning system, and they started seeing, you know, weird, weird things happen. Like their cyber reasoning systems uh, is only submitting um, exploits and they would submit decoy exploits too. Mm-hmm. There was this whole game theory thing behind this mm-hmm. this game that we can also go into. But um, so they for every piece of software that was in play, uh, they would submit uh, some sort of exploit for it, an right. attempted okay. exploit. Okay. 
And then they start seeing that their system's not submitting exploits. Mm -hmm. What is going on? You know, what, mm -hmm. and, and, and it became apparent that there, something was wrong, and their system later in the game stalled out. Okay. Uh, and so this, I mean, they, I, I think they lost years off their collective lives. <laughs> right, I mean, <laughs> spreading this out. Yeah, but and, and in just, the end. Oh, sorry, just to be clear, so what, what, the way the game worked, right, is they each had access to the same software. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they would fix the vulnerabilities in the software, mm -hmm. push that out, but then other teams had access to their fixes. So if the oh, fixes wow. weren't correct, oh. they would have to analyze those new ones to try to find new ways new. to exploit those got vulnerabilities. It, got it. And then right. could, okay. they, the other teams could submit exploits against right. those oh, goodness, fixed goodness versions. So, so it's it, it actually exponentially great. Yeah, yeah. It does. In reality, it does exponentially grow, and there was yep. a, uh, some limited analysis of each other's um, patches but one thing that we saw in the CyberGround Challenge is the rise, and we, it, this isn't new to the CyberGround Challenge. Uh, malware authors have been using these mm -hmm. techniques for a while, but the, the rise of these techniques to attack cyber reasoning systems from yep. the inside so as that, they're analyzing your so, software. So that's yeah. what I would assume. If you're going to embed something yeah. in that software, which then sort of yeah. parasitically... Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the idea yeah. is if I know that, that you're using software X to analyze, because a lot of people are going to yeah. use mm -hmm. software X, if I know that software X crashes when it sees a certain byte uh -huh. sequence, yep. I'll put that yep. into my patches yep. and then submit that so your system will never be able to find a vulnerability in my system because it will crash. Exactly, yes. and this is literally, uh, we did this, every, um, <laughs> about half the competitors did this, right. enough to, to make it way too dangerous to analyze each other's patches because you, wow. you, just, you cannot, uh, right. it's, wow. it's very dangerous. So, wow. so uh, the rules of the game, yep. uh, and DARPA was very careful with this, the rules of the game said that you there's limited things that are allowed right. in this sense. Like mm -hmm. you could not start wreaking havoc across your okay. uh, your uh, com competitor systems what, what does by really doing this. What does that mean, wreaking havoc? Well, really? so, so they, they <laughs> defined it in, in terms of you can't trigger system calls that um, the software could not trigger normally. Th that are going to so take the software down. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. A restricted, uh, a very well-defined um, okay. uh, way of, of, of saying this. Uh, and so, for example, one of the things we did, we identified a flaw in a commonly used analysis um, system, an emulator called QEMU. Mm -hmm. And QEMU is this, this sort of um, binary emulator that can be modified um, to accomplish specific analysis tasks um, aside from just emulating software. And so we, we found this flaw in QEMU where given very specific uh, numbers, and certain mathematical operations on it, it would mis-implement uh, the, the operation and, f and hang, right. just infinite loop, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. trying to, to find a fixed point in this operation yeah. uh, that it never would find. And so we implemented the attack, and we inserted it into every single patch. Right. And one of the systems that we crashed, actually, was the organizer's visualization system. <laughs> oh, because sure. the, this whole uh, CyberGrand challenge had a public part of the event where they right. had mm -hmm. visualizations of exploits and, and they had sportscasters mm -hmm. and, and so forth and then there was one visualization that just boom and it just stopped. And, and, <laughs> and, and yeah, we see that it stopped on this specific instruction. It was a floating point division instruction, mm -hmm. div, and we see in the trace div is the last instruction executed and we see that it's our uh, Program being analyzed. But, but, but what you're talking yeah. about here is essentially cyber war games. Right. Yes. You, yeah. You've got these machines and together. cyber deception, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's, it's extra it's, additional it's every, complexity. It's everything in the mix. There. So, yes. 
Okay, so this was a major investment by DARPA mm-hmm. and a major investment by a lot of smart people who could have invested their time and energies doing, doing other else. things. <laughs> so what did we, what's our ROI on this investment? So ROI with the CyberGun Challenge is the knowledge that it's possible. So mm-hmm. there, th- this is a common question actually because the CyberGun Challenge like I said, had uh, tens of, of millions of dollars of, of mm-hmm. a budget, kind of upwards of 50 million, 60 mm-hmm. million, some, mm-hmm. some, I mean, I have no idea what the actual figure is, I'm sure it's public, but um, a lot of resources. And then people say, well, but we don't have right now a system that I can flip on and it'll say, oh, don't worry, you're safe, mm-hmm. Will right. Robertson, you know, this right. sort of thing. Right. Um, what, what, yeah, the How 2000 type thing, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, and so there, there's this criticism and at the end of the day the cyber grant challenge is very analogous to the self-driving car grant challenge mm-hmm. that DARPA ran in I don't know 2006 and just about 10 years ago and mm-hmm. so na- back then they ran this um, this system uh, the, this challenge for fully autonomous self-driving cars yeah. and and so forth, and the criticism back then was, well, hey, it's 2007, I don't have my self-driving car. Mm-hmm. Why if the I, heck did if you... If I remember correctly with that one, the first one, they nobody even finished Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's no right, they got about 100 yards or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And then they did a follow-up in 2007 or 2008 mm-hmm. where someone did finish, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, and, and people were like, where's my, you know, this is bogus, I don't have my self-driving yeah. car. And 10 years down the road, Look there are self, the exactly, yes. self-driving right. Ubers driving around Phoenix, right? Yep. Yep. And, and and the revolution is coming. So it, it's the same thing. You're already setting the foundation a, yeah. for that yeah. to, to it, it, And okay. it makes sense. So, mm-hmm. I mean, some of the more technical details that Jan didn't go into, but that makes sense here is the system was much more limited and restricted than mm-hmm. a normal system. Yep. So something like, sure. the details don't really matter, but there's, I don't know, most operating systems now have 250. 50 plus system calls. This operating system had what seven? Seven, right? Okay, okay. so it's yes. a simplified, yes. system. Yes. simplified yes. system, but yes. still mm-hmm. realistic. Still, but know. but still, from what you're saying, there, there were pretty big advances made in actually coding algorithms. I, what do you call these things? I don't even know the language for, for, mm-hmm. for this space. Yeah, and so, so, but so but coding them so that they could actually autonomously sort of seek out sort of things in new environments and yeah. adapt and change and learn. Yes, yes. And, as a scientist, this is what, to me, is critical about the Cyber Grand Challenge. Right. So, for uh, years in my graduate studies and, and uh, you know throughout my scientific career, you read these, you read papers, and the papers are written by good researchers. It's mm-hmm. good science, and they say we have this technique that can work automatically, and we did these experiments, and these are the results, and then people build off of that. But until you really cut those two cables mm-hmm. until you have an air gap. Mm-hmm. You don't realize the little assumptions, the little That's amount it. of help that sure. a human gives a system that yep. is mm-hmm. invaluable and, yep. and okay. incredibly difficult to replace. Yes. So that automation, all of the actual fundamental techniques in the CyberGrand Challenge, for the most part, are, are techniques that are known in the scientific literature. The mm-hmm. Cyber Challenge was an integration challenge. Yep. Okay. It is that glue that took us from a human running automated tools to mm-hmm. an the autonomous material. system. Right. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Uh, that was the, the super critical value. In the same way that 
you know, in the in the self-driving car grand challenge, the first one, uh, you know, what what really new things were invented? And then, you know, in the years after, lidar came out and all sure. of this, yes. you know, changed it. Yeah, yeah, and so so it's the same thing. Um, it's that integration, and of course, there were techniques. Uh, that, that were pushed forward and, and invented for the Cyber Grand Challenge. Um, we have a number of publications that mm-hmm. came purely out of our uh, CBC okay. work. Uh, but I think the, the core important thing is this, it's that you know, we have these assumptions that some amount of human involvement in, in scientific experimentation is okay, and, and it is, but every once in a while you need to have an event that says, oh, right. okay. you create the system, yes. Exactly. Yep. So it's so interesting because that's like, the opposite of where biomedicine is moving because we, when we do science in biomedicine, our sort of gold standard is this randomized controlled trial, right? Where we super, with real people, but that we super select out. Like if we're doing, you know, cardiac studies, we select out people who have, you know, any kidney problems. And because we don't wanna, you know, muddy that water. But the reality is in real life, people with heart problems often have kidney problems. Mm. So we get these results from this controlled mm. setting that doesn't necessarily translate to the real world. And, and of course that goes several steps further. So now the push in biomedical research is to try and digitize everything. So rather than experiment on real life, you mm. try and simulate real life inside a computer. Yeah, so so we it's ha- actually we going have, the opposite direction. So right, we have yes. in vivo, in person, yes. in vitro, like yes. in, you know, in a lab, in a test tube, yeah, right? Then in silico, yes. yeah. In silico, yeah. I, I know it's it's rather corny, but yeah. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of push towards personal medicine, right? So Personalized than medicine, developing yeah. Developing a drug that's going to work on the whole population. I just mm-hmm. wanted to find something that there was just where did I just read this? There's just a big some. In the personalized medicine world, somebody sort of raised the flag of like, hey, we're not really there yet. Like, don't get excited. And it's not clear that this is ever going to be really a thing. But I think that this notion of that, like the state of the art, right, to accomplish the state of the science in cybersecurity is truly controlling this system by creating an air gap to separate it. Yes, I mean, the the history is right you can take an expert security person mm-hmm. right and task them with the same task that they would give these um, mm-hmm. these automated systems and they I guarantee I mean you give them enough time and money they're gonna find all the of thing, these yes. problems yeah. if not more mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. machines could not find right right the problem is that's not a scalable solution right, to right. finding these vulnerabilities that's at it. scale of yep. course so I have a friend um, who has this analogy I'm gonna steal it from him so I apologize um, don't. The if he's imitation, listening. Absolutely. Yeah. And he says, you know, when you're evaluating some system, uh, uh, let's say you're you're talking about chess, mm-hmm. and you want to do to create a system that helps people play chess, mm-hmm. and you have me with my chess app on my cell phone, mm-hmm. and you have Gary Kasparov with a calculator, mm-hmm. right? What's the better chess playing system in that case? Gary Kasparov with the calculator is going to win. Right. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but it's not because of the calculator. It's not because <laughs> right. of the calculator. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the state of, of science pre cyber again challenge of, of our field of cyber autonomy is this. It's, you know, Gary Kasparov with the calculator. Yeah. And, and it's not because people, you know, are, are sloppy or something. It's just implicit little things. Sure. I, I see it as more democratizing security so mm-hmm. that, that way, you know, the, 
companies who have large budgets and have large security teams, mm -hmm. they can do what they need to do to make sure that. But, but this makes secure. it more accessible. Yeah, so, exactly. so this brings us to the the, the, the point of, of your software. You made that open access or open source. Yeah. Open source. Yes. So you can now go on GitHub and download yeah. the mechanical fish. Exactly. You, right. you can go on GitHub and achieve what I say: achieve cyber autonomy from the comfort of your own home. Right, right. So, so, so explain the reasoning there, because I mean, we had this conversation earlier where you were sort of bringing somebody out in a sweat sort of by saying, I've now released this onto the whole world. Anybody can do yes, that. Yes, exactly. And so, so we, we released this thing, um, github.com slash mecca fish with a PH. Um, and now even more people can do it. Now exactly. even more people can do it. Yeah. It's a, it to be fair, it's a, it's a big giant pain to set up and so forth. We were working on it, but, right. but um, you have to, for example, as a real quick uh, blurb, in China, an organization ran what was billed as the Chinese Cyber Grand Challenge mm -hmm. uh, last mm -hmm. month. The top team and the second place team both used systems based off the mechanical fish. Right. All right. So that, that, that's kind of this data point. That so this so is that's already. where it propagates out. So what mm -hmm. I find really interesting here is I, this goes back to the beginning of the conversation. You were saying that these systems are designed to identify flaws and patch them, but they could just as equally exploit those flaws. Yes. So by putting this out in open source, you're both helping people develop more resilient systems, but you're also helping people develop attack systems. Yes, and yeah. this, this you know, it's, it's an interesting, and this is what uh, this question yes, that, that was yes. asked to me in this uh, AI conference, like, oh, did you guys think before releasing this? Right, <laughs> what right, right. right. Um, it's, it, in general, what Adam said, this is, you know, the democratization of security. Right. You, mm -hmm. when, when you have big organizations let's say nation states that want to break into things, mm -hmm. they can hire the hackers to break into things. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, finding flaws is not the limiting factor mm -hmm. in, in breaking into things. It's this big organization with a driving purpose and so forth. But in defending things, the manpower is the uh, current yeah. thing holding us back. Yeah. And so yeah. that's where these systems are going to truly have an impact. Right. So, yeah, I always think I like the analogy that, that there's a fundamental asymmetry between attackers and defenders. Right. right? An mm -hmm. attacker only needs to find one flaw. That's mm -hmm. right. So when I yes. think of it like defending a castle, right? The defender has yeah. to defend the entire Everything, castle. Yes. The attacker mm -hmm. only needs one way in. Yep. That's right. So if I can build you a tool that would automatically, like a Roomba, go around your castle and tell you if there's any loose bricks or anything, it's a really yeah. powerful tool. That would be yes. a very powerful tool. An yes. attacker could also use that to get in. Yep. But you know what? An attacker is smart enough that they're going to find the loose bricks that this machine but, finds. Right. But it probably also, more. But it also strikes me that the more this happens, and I can fully see how making stuff open source really stimulates the field to mm -hmm. create bigger and better better things. Mm -hmm. I can also see an argument where the need to be agreed on standards as to how you do that so mm -hmm. you make it harder for people to subvert those systems into attack systems. Possibly. I, I'd, say, <laughs> I'd, say, I'd say the question is actually older than the cyber reasoning systems yes, and the right. cyber grand challenge because the security community for a long time has been has developed tools. There's tools that you can go download open source tools like Nmap, which right. will go scan a computer, look for open ports. Basically, if you think about it, like a house mm -hmm. jiggle kind so, of so handles. So we've always been there, yes. Yeah, yeah. they've always been there, but yeah. there has been these debates, and I think that the security, the cybersecurity community has kind of firmly come down on the side of that, yes, the tools can be used for offensive purposes, but a good person is 
person who's good at offense doesn't need these tools, right? right. They will uh, already yes. have the skills to be good enough sure. to do that. Yes. And so yeah. really what this is about is giving that specialized skill and knowledge into the hands of the every yeah. Yeah, yeah. defender so it, they it's, can... It's remarkably similar to the, the biotech arguments around gain-of-function with viruses, mm -hmm. where the yes. argument is if you work out how to make a virus more vir virulent, you should not put that into the public domain. Whereas the counter-argument is that if you want to cause mayhem, there are easy ways of doing yeah. it than reading a nature paper and trying to sort of reconstruct yeah. a virus. Of course. And uh, this argument kind of goes much, it's, it's, it's older than, I mean, of course, in biology you have it, it's older than computing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a sci-fi author, Larry Niven, mm -hmm. and he has uh, his, I think it's, it's, it's Larry Niven, he has this set of kind of laws of science fiction, mm -hmm. or laws of science, and one of them is essentially that any engine can just be turned around, pointed at someone, and now it's a weapon. Of course, right? yes. So yes. It's yep. the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Here. But yeah, but I definitely think it's worth thinking about right and right sure. I think right. definitely in this instance it's very clear that these are not to the level that you can yes. just take this and run this on let's say the latest version of chrome and it outputs right. Right. several vulnerabilities or exploits that are worth fifty thousand dollars or something and, and and in my opinion we are interestingly about 10 years from that yes which is that right. same 10 years back from yeah. 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 Yes. which so, would be great for the security of all of us yes. right right yes. because yeah. if we can raise the level of kind of overall security and mm -hmm those intermediate years may be difficult where we have to deal yeah. with these things. Mm -hmm. We're fixing vulnerabilities and problems that anybody could have exploited in the past to take control of our data and our system. Right. Sure. Yeah. So I, a few things come to mind for me. One is that one of the things that Adam has taught me over the years now uh -huh. is that anything that any code that is written by a human is going to have vulnerabilities that can be exploited. Um, so, and anytime really a human touches code e in a user way or in a creator way. So one of the things that in the next 10 years strikes me is that until we have a public that understands cybersecurity, right, in a very full way, and I'm talking everybody from a two-year-old on an iPad up to, you know, my grandmother in her nursing home, who also has an iPad, um, that, you know, that there are going to be vulnerabilities. We aren't going to see this, like, grand protect, grandly protected society unless every single member of society understands how to engage in the same way. So that's one thing. Um, and then the other thing that calls to mind for me is a question that we've talked about in terms of cybersecurity ethics and cybersecurity research ethics. So what did the cybersecurity grand challenge or the cyber grand challenge, like how did that or did that sort of poke at that question of where are we in the cybersecurity field in terms of codifying codes of ethics? I think it sidestepped it, to be perfectly honest. Really? In, 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 from a very technical perspective, because this is a soft, you know, a piece of software that's running on your computer. So mm -hmm. at least given the current laws, you have mm -hmm. each of us has the right to inspect the code that is running. On, I mean, the binary code at least that's running on your system. Sure. And you can inspect that away, find vulnerabilities in that, launch exploits against your local system, right? Because you own that and control that. The minute where you enter ethical problems is when you then decide to launch that against Andrew's computer. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And that's when it becomes a big issue because you don't have permission to do that and you're potentially taking advantage of a system. So at least 
maybe my opinion is in this case they're only analyzing local software, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, if a human can do it, why can't an automated machine sure. do it in that right. sense? But as so soon as there's not an air gap, that local software becomes public Agora software, right? So, so there was a nod. I mean, not a nod. They, they definitely. I, and I've talked to the organizing team and 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 so forth. They've definitely um, thought very hard about this question, right? About um, the perception of okay, we're funding these systems that could easily be turned around and, and um, used to attack people. And so one of the reasoning kind of steps behind the simplified system calls, uh, the simplified uh, software that mm -hmm. was being analyzed, it wasn't just that that's where kind of science is and that, because they could have made it a little more complex or, you know, and, and so forth, pushed the boundaries. But, um, then that would make it much more readily applicable to right. this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So yes. this was one yeah, of so the... So maybe you can talk a little bit about what was the actual overall performance of the systems. In the final event, yeah. So, of course, I have the most visibility into our system. Um, and our system, again, uh, was the third place system. Um, but we were actually, points-wise, we had the highest offensive score in mm -hmm. terms of exploits that worked. And the highest defensive score. Okay. Uh, sorry. We we defended the most programs, okay. but we uh, we had the second highest defensive score. We right. defended them slightly less often. I see. Second place had a higher defensive score. So they got you on your artistic score, is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the judging of the decorated yeah. server ranks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a Russian judge. I'm sure it was a Russian judge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing, right? So we had these solid. Uh, software analysis techniques and, mm -hmm. and, and exploitation and protection. And and I should also give a shout out of course, first place, their system crashed partway through. By then they were that far ahead and right. wow. close wow. To, to victory, right? So they were also uh, quite quite impressive uh, in the offensive field as well. Mm -hmm. But in the end, we had the highest offensive score, almost the highest by like one point or something, uh, defensive mm -hmm. score, um, and we got third. And the reason we got third is because cyber autonomy isn't just about looking at software. Mm -hmm. our, our system was, in, in some sense, this kind of idiot savant. It was very good at mm -hmm. hitting software and, and finding um, mm -hmm. um, flaws and, and, and uh, protecting, but it wasn't good at thinking about the overall state, thinking right. about when it should attack, when it should patch. Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of one of the side effects of being a student team. It was very hard for us to say, okay, guys, we're going to sit down for six hours. Right. And yeah. we're going to brainstorm. Study the rules. Study the rules. Yeah. The game exactly. Theory aspects. And, and, you know, some people looked at this on and off and, you know, sure. brainstorming and so forth. But uh, I know the top two teams, they had you know, meetings every week, several yeah. hours. Yeah. They sat around, what if we do this? Let's right. run the numbers. Mm -hmm. They, they had someone, okay, you create a simulation. You think about this strategy. And so this, this paid off. Um, so that's in terms of the kind of overall results mm -hmm. uh, from a very high level, that was the, uh, the, the outcome. Yep. In terms of, if you look at the specific results, right, as the, the team with the top exploitation score, uh, how many did we actually exploit? There were 85 pieces of software mm -hmm. in the final event. Mm -hmm. Com uh, relatively complex software mm -hmm. in this uh, simplified environment, of course, uh, that no one had ever seen before. 
and out of 15 uh, out of 85 of these programs we found ex and exploited flaws in 15. Okay. we okay. found flaws in something like 53. Okay. Okay. right so uh there were further like part of our system it was very resilient and it, it stayed up the whole time and then it pushed all the way through but it did degrade uh -huh. there were pieces of okay. it that failed and so those 53 uh um, flaws that we found, we should have been able to exploit more than 15. Right. Sure, but there sure. were various, you know, bugs and so forth that, again, without the human touch to say, yes. oh, well, you, what's you going on here? Okay. Yeah, you can't do anything. And so, you know, the, the kind of final thing is out of 85 system, uh, of these programs, you can exploit uh, 15 and find the flaws in 53. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that kind of gives us a baseline on this simplified system mm -hmm. with simplified programs. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have kind of a, a pretty low ratio, you know, yeah. something like yes. So yeah. what this tells me is that as far as 21st century jobs are concerned, cybersecurity experts are, or in cybersecurity workers are not in danger of losing their jobs to robots. For the next 10 years. For the next 10 years. I think, I think even in 10 years it'll still I, yeah, be, because yeah. you need, you, I, I still have high, doubts and skepticism that they will be able to analyze any arbitrary piece of code to find all the vulnerabilities in it and generate exploits. Well, but that requires creativity as well. Yes, yeah. and there's, yeah. you know, the code can be insanely complex sure, and sure. you have the, the um, halting problem. There's all kinds yes. of theoretical, I think, limits, and which a human doesn't necessarily have. But I think it, the great thing is it's going to free up these security experts to focus on those things so mm -hmm. that the robots can find the Kind of, I think of it. I was uh, think of it as like a tree of vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So yes, the robots can get the low hanging fruit. Yes. Right. But we need to get those ones at the top because they're all bad for in terms of defense, in terms of security. Right. So if we that's can right. raise the robots up so they can start picking higher up on the tree, that's great for everyone. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the humans can concentrate on getting those high priority, yeah. really complex and complicated vulnerabilities. Yep. So so here here's my the way I frame this nowadays, right? And one one thing is, instead of a tree, think about it like a brain. Let's say we have, we are this kind of unified organism, all the humans, all the machines, all our, our, our intellectual and processing capacity, and we want to apply this to finding flaws. Uh, and think about how your brain works. So you have this kind of base. I don't know how my brain works, well, and, and, here, and here's the reality, <laughs> nobody knows how our brain works. Yeah. 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 But, but let's say uh, one popular science perception, you have the quote-unquote reptile brain that mm -hmm. handles things like breathing. Sure. Right, you don't... We're pretty sure we know how that works. Yeah, and, 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 and if you don't have a whole lot of our computing resources or a whole lot, like breathing's a baseline. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? And in computer security terms, right now that baseline is um, simple uh, cybersecurity, the program analysis needs such as fuzzing, mm -hmm. you know, sending random data and hoping that programs crash. That finds a surprising amount it's, of It's actually bugs. frustratingly effective. Frustratingly effective. Really? Researchers. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you send random data uh -huh. and, and these programs tend to be Vulnerable enough that they will. <laughs> to, to, I would say to real world software. Yes. This isn't yeah, to yeah. toy software. I mean, you can take almost any important piece of software, create a fuzzing component for it, and I, you will find vulnerabilities and it crashes, and a significant fraction of those are exploitable. And, yeah. and su wow. super impactful ones. A couple yeah. years ago, there was this stage fright bug, right, mm -hmm. where your phone, your Android phone, could get exploited over 
an MMS. And that was found with a yeah, fuzzer. In fact, video processing library yeah. on Android. So they fuzzed that, found that, and found you could send this video file if you texted it to anyone's phone. The MMS receiver so would automatically like send that to be processed. A thousand monkeys with typewriters. Yeah. Yeah. Are like gonna those make monkeys are insanely good at finding, wow. which wow. is frustrating okay. and, and, because. Okay. <laughs> and, and this technique, and in fact, the same open source piece of software that found stage fright is at the base, was at the base of every cyber reasoning system right. in the cyber grand challenge. But that's like breathing, right? That, yeah. that, that, it, it, it's a simple process that takes you a very long way toward being alive, yeah. staying alive, yeah. right? Okay. And then you have kind of the next step. So if you want to walk around, that's yet another thing that doesn't really take a ton of intellectual sure. capacity and but so forth. But it's not layer on top, yes. Yeah, it's yes. Not something along the, these lines. I'm, I'm sorry if, uh, to I'm all like, of the... Uh, no, no, actually a bunch of things have to go into walking. It, yeah. it's, it's complex, but yeah, it's still, it's, complex, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it doesn't prevent us from concentrating on calculus or, or right. you know, something along those lines. And then that is a more complex technique uh, in cybersecurity. Uh, I see it that area being filled by what is called symbolic execution, the ability to actually reason about the relationship between data as a program process it and, and, and try to find potential flaws there. Mm -hmm. And then you go up and up and up. And, and the problem with cybersecurity right now, uh, I think the reason that we had 15 exploits mm -hmm. and not 85 or, or 53 found vulnerabilities and not 85 or not, let's say 70, yeah. is we don't have that kind of next step. Okay. We have nothing in the cybersecurity world right now, and uh, in the uh, cyber autonomy world, mm -hmm. that can produce provable um, detections of vulnerabilities more complex than kind of fuzzing with symbolic execution, stash, the stack on top. Mm -hmm. So what I've been pushing into in research is this question of, I mean, okay, cyber autonomy was very important as a proving ground. But if you notice the way uh, self-driving cars are developing, mm -hmm. the only reason that we have self-driving cars already on the road is because when they run into a situation that's complex, they can say, help, 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 right. and the human yeah, yeah. grabs the wheel. Yeah. Yep. So, so that that is where that's where we're that's at. Where young, this, take uh, the wheel. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that, that's where I'm pushing right now, where you have this, this base, the reptilian brain, the mm -hmm. fuzzer, mm -hmm. you have a symbolic execution engine that shows these things how to walk yep. and then when they really run into problems they can still reach across the that air gap yeah right, right and reach into humans, the yeah. mind of a human yep. and uh what i found in my some of my latest research that i'm presenting in in october um this month in a couple of weeks um i was gonna say you better get it yeah, exactly. <laughs> <it's like laughs> exactly. what, what would be found we say september though. right yeah. <laughs> what what we found is that um that next step isn't necessarily you ask a hacker. You, you know, you don't have to call Adam. You can call a human to get some human intuition. Right. Uh -huh. A non-hacker human. Interesting. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So I, I, I build this cyber reasoning system that dispatches requests for help into Amazon Mechanical Turk. That's, I, that's exactly oh, what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> and it is, it's this, this, you know, whole uh, uh, tapping into humans yeah, yeah uh, a whole system where non-expert humans non-security mm -hmm. yep. experts you know people that 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 understand computers enough to go to you know the amazon mechanical turk mm -hmm. uh, website mm -hmm. sign up for an account mm -hmm. and do these tasks and the cyber reasoning system just asks them 
to interact with mm-hmm. this software in specific ways mm-hmm. so that it can observe that and learn. Yep. Okay. So that's kind of the next step. That's what we need to replace with that's autonomy right now. You get to the human-machine interface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how I see the yep. results, overall results right, of the so semi-challenge. not necessarily team. just automated, but basically helping humans so you can kind of split the responsibility. Sure, yes. yeah. The machines are very good at analyzing, throwing yep. random data, doing things that machines are good mm-hmm. at. Yeah. And then you can have the humans, whether yeah. experts or not, bringing in their kind of expertise. And then this gives us a very good idea of what we need to replace in the next 10 sure. years. Got it. As, you know, p- that part of the functionality. And then still at the end, you, you'll still have kind of what Adam says, we'll push humans farther and farther up that tree. Yeah. And they'll right. be hanging on to the top branches until they're knocked off. Well, yeah. or the tree keeps growing. Yeah, well, the robots <laughs> take over yeah. and plant their own fake robot trees. Exactly. Oh, okay. there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, on that happy note, I think we'll, we'll end there with the image of the tree. Not the robot tree. Just the tree. Right. All right. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.